Praise God. Bless you, one and all, as you have gathered here on this wonderful occasion. Let's just turn in our Bibles to the book of Isaiah 59, verse 19. This is Isaiah the prophet speaking 500, 600 years before the advent of Christ. And he's speaking down the ages, words that ring true in any generation. All right, that's the nature of this great prophetic utterance. All right, so there it is. He says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. Notice that. So shall they fear, fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. The sun rises in the east, by the way. So in other words, the whole world will fear his name. Then listen to this. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Now, if we look around us, let's be honest. The enemy has come in like more than a flood. If we look around us, the whole world literally being swept away. Okay? And we must ask ourselves the question, what is God doing in all of this? I mean, where is God? The answer is that God is right here. And that's the wrong question. Because it's not so much what is God going to do. God looks at us and says of us, what are you going to do? Can you see that? When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord lifts up a standard. Who is that standard? His people on the earth. Amen? His people on the earth. And it's no good pointing to somebody else over there. We must look where? At ourselves. All right? We must look at ourselves. This morning I want to speak about spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. You see, the only answer in our nation is the church rising up in the full authority of God. The only hope in your situation and my situation is God rising up in great authority through the church, through us. Amen? He's given us the resources, but we need to learn how. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Now, I think the church in South Africa, I'm not going to point fingers at anybody. There's some great ministries, etc., etc., I think to a large extent, anarchy was averted on Monday because of the prayers of the saints. I know that there are churches that pray through the night. You know, there's a lot of prayer going up in this country. So please, when I speak these words, I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. We're looking at ourselves. Can you all just say amen? amen. The truth of the matter is the church is not standing up in her full authority. Amen. amen. Let me tell you, if the church was standing up, in a full authority, we would be highly respected. His name would be feared. His name would be feared. As things stand at the moment, if I can give an opinion, the church is tolerated because we're supposedly a Christian country. And there are many Christians here, but the church is tolerated. And to be honest, subtly we're being persecuted. Religious values, Christian values are being undermined across the board. 
which is a subtle form of Christian persecution. You see, the church's job is to be strong and powerful. And if the church is doing what she's supposed to, she would be feared. She would be feared. This man that is trying to come up against corruption legally, along comes Hitman and shoots him and his son dead, being buried as we speak. Just like that. That shouldn't be happening. That shouldn't be happening. It's quite apparent that our country is being run by cartel, criminal cartel. And they're all being sponsored by you and I, by the way, courtesy of ESCOM and other parastatal, so to speak. That's disgusting. It shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be happening. Why is it happening? Can I tell you why? There's no fear of God. There's no fear of God. His name is not feared from the West to the rising of the sun. If his name was feared, you wouldn't set a foot wrong. Did you know that? We wouldn't set a foot wrong. But you see, where does that fear of God start? Can I tell you, in the church, there's no real fear of God. There's no real fear of God, by and large. People just live as they please. Church is an add-on social extra. To a large extent, a cultural happening, part of our culture. These things shouldn't be. These things shouldn't be. You and I need to make a difference, and it starts where? Right here. And I'm pointing to myself. There is an element lacking in the body of Christ, which is this, and it's holiness, really. Reverential fear of the living God, which translate into fear for his word. We should fear and tremble at his word and fear and trembling at his institutions, which is the body of Christ. But I'm digressing a bit. Let's just go on. I want to read another scripture. This is in Daniel. Daniel 11, 30 to 32. Daniel 11, 30 to 32. Now, this scripture is very often taken out of context, right? And if you read this whole chapter, Daniel 11, around there, it's very confusing. It's very convoluted. I don't know how anybody makes head or tail of it because it speaks about a whole lot of, it's almost like South Africa, different cartels, the king of the north, the king of the south. The king of the east, they all fight for authority. It's almost like a roadmap for the end times. In the midst of it, there's this one incident where the king of the north comes to Jerusalem and he wants to invade, but he doesn't come openly. He comes very subtly. And the background to the story is he like seduces the people to follow him, you see. He just encourages them to forsake the old ways and to just follow him. That's the background to it. And in the midst of it, it says there, though, right, verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. Do you see that? The people have forsaken their covenant with God. He corrupts them. He's able to corrupt them. Do you see that? That's the sense of it. The ones who have forsaken the covenant, he's able to corrupt them. Right? But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Do you see that? But the people who know their God, in other words, 
the people who know the covenant and have stayed with it, have stayed with it, they are able to resist and to come against this. That's the sense of that. And that's exactly what's happening right here in our country right now. Can you see that? The enemy is corrupting the whole Christian ethic. Some schools that they were Christian when they were started off, they were profoundly Christian for many years, and now then they watered it down. Oh, we, we have Christian ethics. All right? However, when necessary, those Christian ethics are all twisted, undermined. You see what's happened? The king of the north, so to speak, with flattery, seduced the whole country, in a sense. All right? Because they didn't know the covenant. They didn't know the word. They didn't know the Bible. But, notice, the people, the people who know their God shall do great exploits. God wants to raise up a standard. God is speaking. He wants to raise up a standard. Now you see the big question is, well, so how? What must I do about it? And there's an interesting teaching I want us to look at this morning. Let's go to the Gospel of John. I've been really blessed by the Gospel of John as I've been recording it. When we read in this Gospel of John, chapter 19, there's a fascinating passage of Scripture here. And from it we can learn so much. John 19 from verse 5 to 12. This is Christ just before his crucifixion. He's been in the Garden of Gethsemane. They've apprehended him. They've taken him to the authorities. And now he's got to appear before Pilate. And what happens is a very interesting interchange. But let's just read it, and then I'll talk. Uh, verse 5, Then Yeshua came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now, Pilate is very conflicted in this whole thing. You'll see that. But we'll talk about that. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. They couldn't stand the sight of him. Do you know why? Because he spoke directly to their sin. And they couldn't bear it. Then the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Can you see it? This man who knew mankind realized there's something very, very different about this man. He's not a common criminal. He knew that. He was more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Yeshua, Where are you from? But Yeshua gave him no answer. Listen to that. Gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Yeshua answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Very hypocritical, because they were looking for a king to revolt against Caesar. But I want us to grasp something here. Very important. We have this man, Yeshua, right? He's probably at the weakest point in his entire ministry. Probably. 
with the possible exception of after 40 days in the wilderness. But just think about it. He's been through a whole night, no sleep, all right? Before that, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was gut-wrenching to the extent that he sweated blood, literally. He's gone through this turmoil. He's been betrayed by his closest people. They've deserted him. That is a very painful thing, let me tell you. They've deserted him. He's on his own, completely on his own. Can I tell you, when you and I are being persecuted, it's a very lonely place. It's a very lonely place. He's completely on his own, in the natural. They beat him, right? He's got this terrible crown of thorns stuck into his head, so he's lost a lot of blood. There's no mention of the Roman soldiers saying to him, uh, what would you like for breakfast? Would you like sunny side up or do you prefer just boiled? What? Nothing like that. So he didn't have anything to eat. He's lost a lot of blood. He's lost a lot of moisture. The man is physically in a very bad position. All right. He's been deserted by all his followers. And now he comes. He's being harangued. I tell you, I've been harangued on occasions. Completely mild compared to this. I remember once sitting in a meeting and all these elders, not one of them had a Bible, by the way, were going at me. Did you fire back? This is the interesting thing. You know what? I can't tell you the sort of pressure you feel that comes on you. It was like a cloud. I couldn't even find my Bible. I was reaching behind. It was behind me. I just couldn't find it. I had lots of things to say. Lots of things. I could have answered them. The word of God, I know for a fact, was on my side. But can I tell you the pressure you come under? Afterwards, I wondered, was that pressure God or was it the devil? At the time, I thought, this is the devil. But it's very heavy. It's a horrible place to be when you're being persecuted, harangued for something that you haven't done, really, you see. But his situation was far worse. He's got all the religious people, and that's a terrible spirit. I know about it. It's an ugly spirit. Crucify him. They want him to die. That's a horrible place to be. All right? What I'm saying is there was a lot of pressure on him as a human being. Does everybody grasp that? So he's lost all this blood. He's had nothing to eat. He's had no sleep. He's been deserted. He's been accused. His life is being threatened at his weakest point. And he comes before Pilate. Now, please understand something. Pilate represented the greatest political power on the earth, the might of the Roman Empire of that day. All right? So he's now facing the might of the greatest empire of that age. And Pilate says, basically, who are you? Where you come from? He doesn't answer him. He doesn't answer him. That would be the perfect opportunity for him to say, okay, I've had enough. Sorry, Pilate, you know, please just, you understand, to back down. But no, no, he demonstrated in that moment incredible spiritual authority. He was able, in his naturally weakened state, to stand up against the might of Rome. Amen. Can you grasp the significance of that? Now, how and where did he get that power from? That's the very power you and I need in this day and age to be able to stand up against this onslaught 
of the devil. Amen? All right, and there's a very important lesson here. There are three things we need to know. Okay? Quite a deep teaching today. So please, let's just mull on it and spend our time. The three things. Remember what we read about in Daniel. Those people who know their God shall do great exploits. Amen? The people who know their God will do great exploits. The first step is we must know our God. Amen? We must know our God. Now, let me just say this. In every one of these areas, we grow. Amen? We grow. It's a process. Can you all see that? We don't just suddenly know God. It's too much. All right? Now, also I need to say, in all of these, there's two sides to the coin. Very important to grasp this. The devil's big trick is to feed us one side through the church. And we become totally incapable, incompetent, weak, weakened. See, first thing is we need to know our God. We need to know that he is the creator of the universe. Amen? All power is in his hands. Christ knew that. He knew that. He could say to this representative of the greatest power on earth, you'd have no power if it wasn't given to you. Can you see that? He knew where power came from. He understood it. We need to be the same. All right? We need to grow in our knowledge of God's awesome, awesome power. It's too much, all of it, for you and I to grasp. At one stage, God came down and spoke on the holy mountain. They said, please, no more. We can't take it anymore. Moses spent 40 days with him. When he came down, they had to put a napkin over his face because the glory was so great. They couldn't look at him. They couldn't look at him. You on my mind cannot grasp this. It's too big for us, okay? This mighty power of God. But you see, we have to grow in it. We have to grow in it. If we don't grow in it, what happens? We have a lackadaisical view about God. Classic phrase, oh, God understands. Let me sin over here, let me sin over there, you know. Nobody minds, nobody will know. God understands. Can you see that? You know, I'm not growing in the fear of God. Let me tell you, the more we grow in the fear of God, a lot of stuff that we do, you don't want nothing to do with it anymore. Are you hearing me? You don't want anything to do with it because you have a reverential fear for this God that we can't see, but God reveals himself to us. We need to grow in that. Amen? We need to grow in that. However, let me just say this. If that's all you and I are growing in, we'll become so paralyzed with fear we won't be able to do anything. You understand? The other side of it is we need to know our God personally as a friend. Does everybody grasp this? We need to grow in our relationship with him as a friend. Now, you see, this seems so contradictory. It seems contradictory, but it isn't. You understand? If we don't know him as a friend, he can't reveal himself in all his glory. Amen? If we don't understand him in all his glory, we become very lackadaisical, happy-go-lucky. Can we grasp this? You see, now, if we've got that right, we know who God is, but we also know him as a friend. 
the Lord Yeshua. He knew his father was all-powerful, but he knew him as a friend. His father. It's beautiful how he speaks about how his father taught me all these things <laughs> before he came to the earth. The Lord Yeshua in heaven, his father, taught him. Isn't that wonderful? Taught him. At least he allowed his father to teach him. Right? <laughs> Praise God. But what I'm saying is, he knew God the Father, but he also knew God as God. Can you see that? And we need to grow in that. We need to grow in, if we want to understand spiritual authority and have it work in our lives. But that's not all. There's three things. Number two, you and I need to grow in the knowledge of who we are. You see? Christ knew exactly who he was. Because he knew who he was, he could look at Pilate straight in the face without any fear. Amen? You and I need to grow in the knowledge of who we are. Amen? Mm -hmm. And once again, there are two sides to this. Can you see? We've got to grow in both sides. On the one hand, we are a kingdom of priests. Did you know that? Kings and priests, that's who we are. We are royalty. You and I need to grow in the knowledge of who we are. We are royalty. We're not miserable little wimps, you understand? We're not insignificant. We are highly significant and extremely important to God, but we need to grow in that. You see, now the world system wants to push you down, isn't it? You're worthless. You, you're rubbish. You're no use to man or beast. You just own. Don't think about yourself in any special way. You see, we've got to grow in the knowledge of the truth, who we are. Amen? We've got to know that we are a kingdom of priests, a nation, a godly nation. We've got to understand that. We've got to grow in the knowledge that we are children of the living God. His blood-bought children. That's who we are. You see? We need that power to stand up against evil. Did you know that? If you aren't secure in who you are, in Christ, the devil can say, who are you? Sit down, shut up. And that's what he's doing to the church right now. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? A bunch of outmoded fools. But once again, there's two sides to the story. We need to know who we are in Christ, but at the same time, realize that we are sinners saved by grace. Amen. Amen. We've got to have both sides of the story. If we just go around saying, oh, I'm a king, oh, I'm a king, oh, I'm a king, get so arrogant and proud, the devil laughs. That's exactly what he wants. He wants you to go and listen to some wonderful message of how wonderful and great you are and leave it at that. Amen? Yes, we are wonderful. Yes, we are great. But why? Saved by grace. Amen. Can you see that? We need to grow in the knowledge of God's grace. His salvation for us. Amen? Now you see, if we just focus on that, we end up saying, oh, I'm just a miserable sinner. In the Methodist hymnal, they've got a prayer. It reads there, oh Lord, have mercy on us, miserable offenders. Well, without God, we are miserable and we are offenders. As a little boy, I read that and I thought, you know, that describes me perfectly. <laughs> The Bible says, the Methodist hymnal says, I'm a miserable offender. So I'll just carry on being a miserable offender. 
I did the offendable stuff and it kept me miserable. You understand? Now, please, the point is we say it by grace. We've got to realize who we are. It's because of him. And the devil's quite happy for you to walk around in life saying, oh, well, we can't say boo to a goose because we're just a bunch of miserable offenders. He wants to join a team of miserable offenders. Do you understand? And that's the mentality. We're not miserable offenders, but we are saved by grace. You see, these things are spiritually discerned. You know, I can't process them logically because they seem to be so contradictory. Amen? So contradictory. But you see, when you and I know that we are saved by grace, it's only because of grace, O oh God, that I'm a king and a priest. Then our kingship, our priesthood as it were, becomes authentic. And we can stand in the face of persecution, of challenges, and say, it's not by my power, but the power of the living God made available to me because he's chosen me to be his child. Amen? And the Lord Yeshua knew that so well. He didn't have to have grace to be saved, but he humbly walked with his God, with his Father. And he could look at this representative of the evil system of the world and say, you've got nothing on me. Amen? You've got nothing on me. You and I can look at the world system if we're living righteous and we can say, you've got nothing on us. You can't touch us. Amen? Amen. So that's number two. Number three, right? All of these work together. You and I will not exercise spiritual authority. You understand? We will not be able to stand up against the forces of darkness unless we have all of these three working in our lives and we are growing in them. Let me put it this way. The more we grow in them, the greater we will grow in authority. Did you know that? The greater we will grow in authority. The more you and I know who we are, the greater authority we will have in any situation. Amen? The more of God we know, the greater authority we'll have in any situation. The third thing is critically important. Not only must we know our God, not only must we know who we are, but we must know why we are here. Amen? We must know what we are called to do. You see, if you and I are in the middle of our calling, then we have great authority. Christ could exercise great authority in that situation. Do you know why? He knew exactly why he was there. Amen? He knew it. He wouldn't allow any situation to prevent him from going to the cross. That's quite a thought, isn't it? But you see, he could be bold in that situation. He could look at this evil prince and say to him, I don't care what you put on me. God sent me. I'm going through with it. I'm not scared of you, basically. And Pilate couldn't handle that. I mean, here's a man I can have killed, and he's not afraid of me. Amen? Why? Christ knew exactly why he was there. He was appointed for the hour, and he was going to go through with it, as unpleasant as it was. Can you see? He could have authority in that situation. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you and I know what we are called to do, it doesn't matter what situation we find ourselves in, we have authority. God has sent us. Do you understand that? Can we see that? We have great authority if we know what we are about. 
Because if we know what we're about and God's in it, nothing can stop us. Amen? Nothing can stop us. But if we don't know what we're about, we end up saying things like, well, maybe somebody else is supposed to do this, not me. You get it? Maybe somebody else, not me. And when things are difficult, it's very nice to say that, isn't it? Leave it to somebody else to do. Amen? But let me tell you something. If you are trying to do something God's not called you to do, you're in big trouble. Most Christians do not know what they're called to do. Did you know that? They don't know. Haven't got a clue. I was reading the book of John, narrating it, chapter 21. And it's a strange event that takes place. This breakfast that they had after the whole crucifixion and resurrection has taken place. And you might recall Peter says to his friends, listen, in a sense, this hasn't worked out. I'm just going to go fishing again. We've had such high hopes for the salvation of Israel and this great king, and it's all fizzled out. The man's dead. That's it. I'm going to go back to what I was doing beforehand. And they all said, you're right. They threw in the towel. We're going with you. And they went to fish. They caught nothing. And you know the story. The Lord appears on the bank. He says, children, have you got something to eat? No, we haven't. Then he tells them, cast your net on the right side of the boat. They cast. And then it says they catch a big catch. A big catch. Which almost tips the boat over. But in the event, that catch was 153 fish. Now, on this occasion when I'm reading this, I thought to myself, if only 153 fish, you can't put them into the boat. How big is your boat? You understand? It's not a very big boat. I mean, they've got these big fishing trawlers that take thousands of tons of fish in the hole. I mean, that's fish. This is just a small catch. But for them, it was huge. You see, too big for their boat. They had to drag the net back to the shore. And when I read it, what the Lord just revealed to me, he said, these people have been living very small little lives. You understand? They were trying to eke out a living with a few fish against terrible storms and times when there was no fish to be caught. And that was their life, just struggling for survival. Very small little life is what he was saying to me. Not undermining anybody who fishes. I mean, please, whatever task we put our hands to is great. But what I'm trying to say is God came along. The Lord came along on the shores of Galilee and he offered them something so much bigger. Amen? So much bigger. That's what I'm saying. And that thing that they had that was so much bigger, they almost lost it. They almost lost it. And went back to futility in a sense. Now what I'm trying to say here is this. You and I, if we're living our lives from day to day to survive, which is what the system has pushed many people to do, we become distracted from the great call that God has on our lives. We're not saying we have to give up everything. No, not at all. But in what we are doing, we need to see the plan of God. Amen? So we can hook up with the plan of God. And you see, once you've hooked up with the plan of God, no matter what, the company is going to fold. No, it's not going to fold. Why? I'm here. <laughs> God's placed me here. And I've got business. <laughs> 
unfinished business. Amen? Unfinished business. We can stare the devil in the face and say, you're not going to have your way because I'm here on God's business. Amen? I don't know if people are grasping this, but it's so critically important to realize we're called to much more than just sitting around, surviving. And when things get bad, it's going to be harder to get to work because the petrol price has gone up. Let me tell you, if going to work in God's scheme of things is part of his plan and you know it, guess what? You don't even need petrol to get there. Are you hearing me? God can rapture your car to work. It's possible. Fill up your car with water from the hose pipe. Listen, if God tells you to do that and you're on his business, that's what you do. And guess what? It's the highest octane petrol your car will ever see. Please don't take me literally in the sense of everybody going saying, oh, well, the pastor said we can fill our car with water. I didn't say that. Amen. We have to be on God's mission. And with us on God's mission, all things are possible. Let me tell you a true story. You can believe it if you want to. You don't have to. There was a man of God traveling from one city to the other in America. And on the way, his car developed great difficulties, great problems. All right? And he just happened to come along a road, a very remote road, by the way. Something like where my friend is now, Tonto Boss. Have you heard of that? There's a place called Tonto Boss out there in the northwestern Cape, Usmanland. And there's Breakbeen Bolt or something like that. Imagine your address, Tontal Boss. It's redefining the concept God forsaken. But anyway, I'm getting distracted. He's driving along. His car develops this big problem. Lo and behold, in the middle of the night, there appears a big petrol station, a service station. He drives in there. The people are very friendly. They say, no, we're open. We can fix your car. They fix his car perfectly and they say no there's no charge they send him on his way and he gets home quite safely thank you very much do you know he went back to see this place it didn't exist didn't exist heaven set up a station for him why he's on god's business are you hearing me he's on god's business we need to know what we are called to do the moment you and i know what we are called to do and in our calling, we become indestructible. Did you know that? However, once again, there's two sides to this whole thing. Please understand. First of all, you see, the devil would like to get you now on our own mission. Hallelujah. Serving God. I was like that for a few years. On my own mission. And it's important to know what God's called us to do. Amen. Because everybody's function is completely individual and different however the other side of the coin is everything that god does is in line with his great plan for the earth his plan which is the body of christ amen we need to be connected through the body of christ through this whole process which i've talked about so often fivefold ministry we need to know our place and where we are connected did you know that we need to know that you see, so at the same time, we are individual and we're part of the collective. Once again, the mind can't grasp that, but that's how God works. Can you see? And if we don't know what we are called to do within the framework of God's great plan, we will not have any authority. Did you know that? 
I know many people of God, they're serving God with all their heart, but there's absolutely zero authority when they pray. And that's the reason, let me tell you why, many, many children of God get sick and a lot of them die. You know the Bible says, if any of you sick, call the elders of what? The church. Who are the elders of the church? Random people that have some sort of official function that you don't even know anything about, that sort of operate over there. Oh, we ring up some elders in the church, the Oderling. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about people to whom you have submitted. All right? In submission to. Those are the elders of the church. When you and I are in trouble, we can call upon the authority in the church because we come under that authority. Do you all see that? And you see, when we're under authority, we have authority. Yeshua was under the authority of his father. Did you know that? He said, I do nothing but I see my father doing it. That's how he was. He was under his father's authority. He didn't do his own thing, even though he was God on the earth. He was under authority. He understood that. Yes, he had his mission, but that mission came from that authority. Does everybody see that? When you and I are operating like that, we can have great authority in any situation. We can stand up to the devil and say, no, enough is enough. Back down. Amen. Has everybody grasped this? We need to, in this day and age, operate in great authority. We grow in these things. As a young Christian, you know nothing about spiritual authority. You do your own thing, hit your head, and God says, okay, fine, he's just growing up. He's growing up. But as we grow older, let me tell you, we're supposed to recognize more and more spiritual authority, the necessity for it in our own lives. Amen? So that we can have the authority that we need where we go in our work situation to be able to face the devil off and not to be slapped around by him. Amen? God's looking for that kind of people in this day and in this age. Amen? Finally, just please, one other thing I need to add. There's a lot more to it, but the heart of it is also your and my motive. It has to be love. Christ was there. He had authority. Why? What he was doing, he was doing because of love. God so loved the world, he sent somebody who also loved the world. That's the way I like to put it. And even though what he faced was terrible, awful, evil, he was able to stand because of this understanding of authority, who his father was, who he was, what he was called to do. But all of it came down to this. I'm here because of love. Can you see that? And as we've been learning in the Bible study on the fruits of the Spirit, love never fails. Amen? Love never fails. We need to be a people that never, ever fail. Amen. Let's pray. 